Since the beginning, we have needed rescue. Then God became flesh and blood. Dying on the cross and defeating the grave so that we may be saved. This is the second week of a new five-week message series for the season of Easter. We're calling this series Victory because Easter celebrates victory, Jesus' victory, his win over death as well as our redemption. Redemption is one of those words that's a church word for sure. We hear it in church all the time. But the noun redemption or the verb redeem is a word that's used both in the church and in secular society. The dictionary actually defines redemption as compensation. Compensation for the faults or failures or bad aspects of something. We use the word redemption when an experience or exercise was difficult or disappointing, but then turns out okay in the end. A good outcome, a happy ending, a great reversal can make up for a whole lot of difficulties or disappointments. As a culture, we love stories of redemption too. Whether from Hollywood or real life, we love stories of turnarounds, upsets, underdogs triumphing. Why? Well, because whether we recognize it or not, whether we know it or not, we all long to be redeemed. It's true, we do. We long to be redeemed. Think about it. We can all agree that nobody's perfect. We know that. And we also know that we can sometimes be far from perfect, further than we would want others to know. And that's the other side of this, because we also all want to please others. All of us have a desire to please someone else. As kids, we want to please our parents and our peers. As adults, we want to please our spouse, our boss, our colleagues, our customers. And all of us also, whatever level of confidence we might have in ourselves, we sometimes feel a sneaking suspicion that we're falling short. We long to become something more than we are right now. Throughout history, The great religions and philosophical systems have all taught the same thing. I must do more. I must do more to make me right. I am not now as I could be or should be. I must do more. But as we noted last week, the difficulty with that perspective is this. When the challenge or problem with you is you, how are you supposed to fix you. Christianity offers another way forward because that desire we have in our hearts, that desire to please others, it's not unique to you or me. It's actually given to us 
by God. And ultimately, it points to a desire to please him and to return to him what he deserves. In fact, our deepest desire is to please God. But sometimes, our lives are not pleasing to him. And that's precisely where Jesus' life, death, and resurrection come in. Jesus lived the perfect life in a way we can't. Each day, in every way, in every moment of his life, he obeyed the Father in a way we don't. His was a life of obedience to the Father and perfect surrender to the will of the Father, even when that meant death on the cross. He lived a perfect life, perfectly pleasing to God, and that put us in right relationship with God. God accepts his life on our behalf. That's redemption. The bad news is we can't redeem ourselves. The good news is we don't have to. The great thing about God is that he can bring good out of bad and hope out of fear, joy out of sadness and sorrow, life out of death. And out of utter and complete failure, victory. His victory can redeem us and make our stories success stories. We see this so clearly in the story of the early church. The first friends and followers of Jesus were flawed, that's for sure. They were deeply flawed individuals. However, Jesus chose them, flaws and all, to launch a movement that quickly gained momentum with a worldwide impact that is the church. Now, over the course of this series, we're going to be taking a closer look each week at a few of those first followers, their specific faults and flaws, as well as the challenge and transformation that took place in their lives as Christ followers. Today, we're looking at the apostle Thomas. Thomas, you know, doubting Thomas. Thomas can appeal to a lot of different kinds of people. For instance, if you consider yourself a naturally skeptical person, especially when it comes to faith, then today is a perfect day for you to join us here in church. If you're prone to doubt, to question, to look for evidence before committing yourself and making up your mind, then Thomas's story will speak to you. If you are an introvert and prefer to be alone, if you're prone to pessimism, or even find yourself expecting the worst, then you'll want to hear more about Thomas's story too. And if none of those attitudes apply to you, it's probably the case that they most certainly apply to someone you know. So Thomas's story is a story for you too. Thomas was one of the 12 men originally selected by Jesus to follow him closely as his disciples or students during those critical three years of his public ministry. The only thing we really know about his life previous to following Jesus was that like the other apostles, Thomas grew up Jewish, studying the Jewish scriptures and living according to the Jewish law and custom. Like the others, for Thomas, following Jesus meant a radical choice 
to leave behind his home, his family, his work, really the whole of his life. Fun fact about Thomas, the gospel tells us he was a twin because that was his nickname, which like many of the incidental details we so often run across in the gospels has no significance whatsoever beyond serving as a reminder that these are real stories about real people. We learn a little bit more about Thomas later, later life in Scripture. Three times in the Scriptures, Thomas speaks. All three episodes can be found in John's Gospel. Just three times, but from those three times, a distinct picture emerges. First time we hear from Thomas, we learn that Jesus' friend Lazarus was sick, and Jesus tells the apostles that they're going to visit Lazarus. The problem was Lazarus lived in a region hostile to Jesus where he had many enemies. Doubtless, the others were expressing some reservations about the trip, but not Thomas, not Thomas. He responds defiantly and darkly, come, let us go, that we may die with Jesus. He's expressing loyalty and courage for sure, but also a distinct pessimism to say the least. Obviously, he's expecting the worst and he's ready for it. The second time we are given his words in the gospel comes at the Last Supper. Jesus is trying to prepare his friends for his coming death and instill in them hope in his resurrection, as well as hope in their ultimate home, which is heaven, all leading to this remarkable exchange. Jesus said, you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? How are we supposed to know the way? Entirely honest and reasonable question. Obviously, he's not afraid to push back and even challenge his boss. Of course, his question leads to Jesus' immortal words, I am the way. The third and most famous time we hear from Thomas comes in today's gospel reading, which is always read on this second Sunday of Easter. On the first Easter Sunday, Jesus appeared to the disciples to prove to them beyond any doubt that he was risen from the grave. However, there was one little glitch. We learn Thomas wasn't with them. Thomas wasn't with the other apostles the night of the resurrection. The implication is that he chose not to be there. Think about that. The others were in hiding, afraid Jesus' enemies would target them next, but not Thomas. Apparently, Thomas did not share their fears. He was fearless, perhaps. And two, perhaps he wanted to take time away from the group to process all they'd been through. Most certainly a reflection of his personality. Some people like to get alone to figure things out. But there's also an indication of some isolation given what comes next. So the other disciples told Thomas, we have seen the Lord. 
But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in its hands and put my finger into the nail marks and put my hand into its side, I will not believe. His response is not just disbelief. It's more like defiance again. He doesn't question them. He doesn't just push back. He flatly refuses to accept their story, thereby isolating himself from the other's shared belief regarding a critical core issue. Although we don't get many details, this is a serious division in this group. These guys have been together night and day through thick and thin for three intense years, and now Thomas stands alone in his refusal to believe their story. Maybe this is just how Thomas was handling the pain. In the trauma of the crucifixion and death of his teacher, his leader, his mentor, his guide, his friend, Thomas chose to pull away from his other friends. At the same time, though, he doesn't completely refuse to believe in the resurrection. He's simply looking for evidence, and boy, does he get it. A second, uh, next week, a week later, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, although the doors were locked, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and bring your hand and put it into my side. And do, do not persist in your unbelief, but believe. Do not persist in your unbelief, but believe. Notice, Jesus isn't angry. He's not upset. He's not disappointed with Thomas. He doesn't find fault with Thomas, Thomas for his pessimism, his skepticism, or his doubt. Instead, he just wants him to move on. He just wants him to do something about it. Thomas wanted evidence, and so Jesus invites him to explore the evidence, and when he does, he comes to faith. Thomas answered and said, my Lord and my God. And the faith he comes to notice is deeply personal. My Lord, my God. He doesn't persist in his unbelief. He doesn't stay there. He moves on. His pessimism becomes joy. His, his skepticism becomes worship. His doubt becomes faith. He is redeemed. Thomas came to faith. Tradition tells us he eventually preached the gospel across Asia, all the way to the Malabar coast in southwestern India, an area of the world, by the way, that still boasts a large native population that call themselves St. Thomas Christians. Thomas went to India to tell others what he had seen and heard. Of all the apostles, he traveled the furthest afield from Jerusalem, literally, to what would have been understood at that time as the ends of the earth. Thomas traveled to the ends of the earth. He went as far as he could go to tell the world what he had come to believe about Jesus. By the power of the resurrection, this doleful doubter became, it could be argued, the most intrepid the most tireless, the most fearsome of the apostles. Maybe you're a little bit like Thomas. 
because you're naturally skeptical. You can't just believe in Jesus' resurrection because somebody told you to believe it, simply because your parents believed it, or you went to Catholic school and they talked about it there. Faith is okay for kids, like the Easter Bunny, but you're firmly entrenched in skepticism. Or maybe you're going through a season of doubt. You used to believe, but now you're not so sure. Life's difficulties and disappointments have led you to doubt. Or maybe you do believe, it's just, it's just faith doesn't bring you the hope and joy it once did. You're pessimistic. But did you know pessimism, skepticism, and doubt can all serve a purpose when it comes to a relationship with God? God can use them to grow your faith. He's done it with some of the greatest of the saints. Pessimism, skepticism, and doubt, they're completely understandable attitudes to have. Lots of people do. They're perfectly reasonable places to find yourself in, but don't stay there. You don't want to live your life there. They're detours, not destinations. God wants you to move on. God wants you to move beyond pessimism. So why not establish a place and a time for a daily quiet time in which you can seek the joy of your faith? God wants you to move beyond skepticism. So why not explore the evidence of Jesus' divinity and resurrection? Read, research, reflect, do the homework, do yourself that favor. If you're not sure what to read or where to turn, we've posted some excellent resources on our website today. Just go to the message section. God wants you to move beyond doubt. Why not get involved in a small group where you can give expression to your doubts and explore your doubts with others? Your Redeemer died on the cross and rose from the dead and lives now in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus' death and resurrection gives us new hope and a fresh start. It shows that our past faults and failures can not only be forgiven, they can be forgotten. They can be redeemed.